Hello there and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And um, it is summer 2018, getting on towards the end of July, and I haven't been podcasting a whole lot. Actually, I have been podcasting. Um, well, I had a busy month in May, um, dropped down some podcasts kind of in my downtime as I was... Um, Working hard, visiting churches, and just had a minute here, a minute there. Um, ended up with a lot of podcasts I needed to edit, and I hate editing. Editing is just it's just a headache. Um, and so I've kind of been like, well, I, I want to publish these. They were good, but I don't feel like editing. Anyways, I'm making excuses. But the bottom line is I haven't been, podcasting, haven't been publishing podcasts for a while. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, I ought to drop one down and... Um, kind of prime the pump a little bit. Uh, once we get going, it's easier to keep going. And um, this is a little bit of an easier one, a little um, more laid back topic and actually kind of a positive topic. Um, and I think it's helpful, um, well, as we're going to see, uh, we need to look on the bright side sometimes. And um, because, well, the world can be downer, the world, there's a lot of bad news. Obviously, um, as we become more and more uh, aware, as we become more able to see what's going on in the world, um, and bad news is more interesting than good news, um, you know, we just get bombarded all the time if we're, if we're um, turning on our news uh, in one way or another, Facebook or TV or radio, you know, about earthquakes happening here, about shootings happening there, um, you know, and that sort of stuff can get us down. Um, but also, our theology can get us down. Um, in my podcast on anxiety, I had a section in there where I talked about um, end times, about the pre-trib um, position on the end times. So I want to catch people up a little bit that aren't, this is going to be super review for people that um, you know kind of grew up in it like I did. But for some people that either, um, you know, I know I have some friends that are, formerly Catholics and now Protestant, um, or might not even have a Christian background at all listening to this. And so I want to catch up a little bit. What do I mean by pre-trib, um, the pre-trib theory? Uh, that's short for, short term, short form for pre-tribulation rapture. This is the belief, um, well, let me back up even further. In the Bible, there's certain books that are prophecy. So in the Old Testament, towards the end, it's, it just gets to be all prophecy. Um, and most of that was fulfilled in Jesus, but some of it is fulfilled in the day of the Lord, whenever that is. And that's a whole other question. The day of the Lord is a theological concept that, that is very rich in meaning. Um, but there's other things that talk about, you know, when Yahweh returns, uh, kind of the end of the world uh, is, is prophesied. Um, and then Jesus comes, and uh, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 24, uh, I'm too lazy to look up Bible references, you can look them up your, yourselves, um, but uh, the disciples, it's in, the, it's in Luke actually, Luke and Matthew, uh, the disciples talk about um, the, the temple, and he says, not one stone will be left on top of another, and he ta- starts talking about how the temple will be destroyed, and then goes on to talk about the end of the world, um, and in the last book, um, Okay, well, and then the book of Thessalonians talks about the end of the world. Um, first and second Thessalonians mention it, I think, in chapter 4. 
of Second Thessalonians, I think. And then 1 Corinthians 15 is a really major passage that talks about when Jesus comes back. Um, those who uh, died will rise first, and then those who are alive uh, in Christ at the time will be caught up in the air, and everybody will go up to Jesus at the same time. He will come, um, you know, to... And at that point, it's clear that there's we all go up to meet Jesus. And then most Christians would say, and then Jesus just takes back off. Um, I'm kind of chuckling because I don't agree with that. Um, it, it's a very strange way to read 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but that, that's the, the theory of the rapture. That Jesus will come down, get everybody, and then take off back to heaven. And then there will be a time that's often called the tribulation, uh, which is described mostly in Revelation, although it uh, definitely connects with the day of the Lord theme found throughout the prophets of the Old Testament and with Jesus' words in uh, Matthew and Luke about um, you know what will happen when the temple is destroyed and um, when God judges the world once and for all. Um, and so... The words of Revelation and also the other prophets are very, 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 very hotly debated uh, in some circles. And um, about 20 years ago, I would say, kind of when I was growing up, a uh, young teenager, um, especially kind of in Baptist circles, um, although other denominations as well, Pentecostals and such, the Protestant smaller denominations um, were extremely focused on interpreting this the right way, seeing this in the news, seeing this happening, um, and knowing how exactly this was going to work out. Now, there's a number of ways of interpreting this, and there's a whole school of thought, in fact. Um, I have a friend that recently took a master's degree in end times prophecy. Um, there's an, definitely enough material. I mean, you could do a doctorate. You could write books and books. In fact, people do write books and books about this stuff. Um, it's really not something that I care about, um, except what I want to talk about today and why I did that introduction is because um, most evangelicals today um, were raised like me within um, a pre-trib or a post-trib um, framework of reference. Um, so there's there's a lot of different perspectives on how this will all play out, but basically... There's two really main, this is hugely oversimplifying, but basically there's two main ways of looking at it. Either um, when Jesus was talking about the temple being destroyed, he was primarily talking about when the temple actually was destroyed in 70 AD. And the rest of what he was talking about was the current time that we're in now, that there will be hard times, there will be persecution, there will be difficulties for the Christians, as Christians have had difficulties for the last 2,000 years. Um, and But basically, and this is the view called amillennialism, um, but basically the world is going to get better and better until Jesus comes, and then every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And at that point, you know, Jesus says at one, one point that uh, first all the nations will hear um, this, this gospel uh, this good news of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations and then shall the end come. So the basic amillennialist position is that things are going to get better and better. More and more people are going to become Christians. Um, yes, there will be a falling away at some point, but 
basically we're moving upwards. Things are getting better and better. Now the other basic position is that things are basically going to get worse and worse and worse, at least morally, socially, things are going to fall apart. Um, <clears throat> the verse about, um, you know, the, um, a father-in-law will turn against his daughter-in-law, or a mother-in-law against his daughter-in-law, uh, the enemies, um, the person's enemies will be members of his own household, everyone will hate you for my name's sake. Um, there's another verse that says, because of the hardness of the times, the love of many will grow cold. Um, this is kind of describing what the world will move towards. It will get a colder place, a meaner place, um, <clears throat> with more and more social uh, disorder and also sin. Um, as Paul says in Timothy, that the Spirit uh, explicitly says in, in the latter times, um, there will be many who are um, liars, deceitful, uh, murdering of their parents, and you know all sorts of other things. People will just want to hear teachers that tickle their ears, etc. Um, and so uh, the other way of interpreting these prophecies is to say the world's going to get worse and worse until, you know, it, it's a, a big hot mess. The whole world is just going to be tyranny and oppression and, and um, just a terrible place. And then there's going to be the tribulation time. Well, some would say there's the rapture and then there's the tribulation. And then Jesus is going to come and judge everybody and then rule for a thousand years and then it'll really all be over and then it'll be the new heaven new earth um and so this way of thinking which is far more the norm in evangelicalism um is a very pessimistic way of looking at the world uh very much saying things will get worse things are getting worse every day now when i grew up Pre, the pre-trib rapture in this certain way of looking at things um, was the most sacred of sacred cows. I mean, you did not question this. You did not contest this. You did not, well, you certainly argued about it, the specifics of it. Um, but it was the specifics kind of like, well, is it Jesus going to come back at the beginning or the middle or the end of the tribulation? Um, nobody would have, like, I've never even met somebody that believe, believed in amillennialism. Uh, everybody believed in some form of of the other way of thinking that things are going to get worse and worse until the end and and it was going to happen soon like tomorrow like the day after like we don't know it's going to be really really soon that's just kind of how it was raised um and i've kind of i've been realizing lately uh that there's a few issues you know i've been courageously going around and, and one by one as i'm trying to create my mature and stable christian worldview i've been re-examining things i've been raised with but there's some things, and it's funny, you know, as a 35-year-old, um, to realize how much my my childhood still affects me. But there's some issues that I still kind of approach with fear and trembling. Um, I talked about eternal security a few years ago. That was a big deal for me because that was another thing that just, like, you don't question that. You don't touch that. That's just a do-or-die issue. Um, another one is the age of the earth, six-day creation versus evolution versus old earth creationism. Um, that was a really, really big deal when I taught on that. Like for me, it was huge. Um, a few years ago, you can look at my other podcasts on that. Um, and the pre-trib rapture is another one that just like, I know people get so freaked out about this, um, that it's been hard for me to talk about it, but I've, I've slowly been working on it. One thing it 
um, back in, I think, 2010 or something, I posted something about what if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 50 years? And for me at the time, that was a big deal to ask the question, what if he doesn't come back for 50 years? Or even, like, this is crazy, you know, based on how I was raised and stuff. What if he doesn't come back for another 500 years? And for me, that just, like, changed completely how I think and my whole world and way of thinking. Because if Jesus doesn't come back for another 150 years or 500 years, I mean, we need to start thinking dramatically differently about the environment, for one thing. We can't see it as an unlimited resource. If he's coming back in 50 years, fine, let's burn up all the fuel, let's pollute all the oceans, let's cut down all the trees. Or at least all the trees somewhere overseas where we don't see them. Um, we'll keep our trees looking nice, that'd be, that'd be okay. Um, you know, but we could have that attitude. Uh, but if Jesus isn't going to come back, that has to change how we look at our world. Uh, and also how we look at the church. Are we just making it converts or are we making disciples that will raise families, that will raise children, that will pass on the faith from generation to generation to generation, which Christians used to do very well, and which Christians seem to have lost the capacity to do. Uh, we're very good at converting people, uh, but we have a very high attrition rate with our children. Um, and so, and I think part of this is just this short-sightedness that Jesus is going to come back today, tomorrow, anytime, which he might. You know, and that is true. That is what the Bible says, that he might come back any time. Um, but, you know, we, we need to have short-sightedness and far-sightedness. He could come back tomorrow, so let's be ready. He might not come back tomorrow, so let's be ready. And in my podcast on anxiety, I talked about the emotional effects of this mentality that pushes us totally or continually in the direction of seeing the negative in the world. And I was reminded of this again because I was just on Facebook and saw something. I, I even forget what the issue was. Um, you know, another shooting or another bad news of some sort. And some Christian piously wrote underneath that, well, it's just like the Bible says, things will get worse and worse till the end. And that just kind of reminded me of, you know, this is how we're trained to think. This is how we have been trained to think, many of us that grew up within this, this way of thinking. Um, you look at the news, you find something bad, and you say, well, there you go, Jesus is going to come back. Um, things are going to get worse and worse till he comes. Um, what effect, like, is this healthy? Is this healthy? Like, what effect is that having on us, on our internal lives, if we're continually looking for the bad and only seeing the bad? And when we see the bad, that's what we celebrate. That's what we push to the front. That's what we talk about. That's what we comment on. We're continually trying. Um, like it's not even a passive thing. I feel like it's, a, it's actively trying to see the negative in the world. And more surprisingly even, when good things happen, but Christians weren't the cause of it, I feel like there's a tendency for Christians to say, well, actually, that's a bad thing. Actually, that's you know, a sign of the one world government coming, or that's a sign of the radical left taking over, or something like that. Like, if, if we're not the cause of it, then it's bad. And I guess what I would, like, I just, I don't think this is healthy. I don't think this is good. If good things are happening in the world, shouldn't we rejoice about that? And if we're spending more time, because, here's why, because in Romans 3, it says that 
um, those uh, who don't know the law, those that haven't read the Bible, um, when they do good things, they demonstrate that the law of God is written on their hearts so that they are without excuse. So when people in the world do good things, it's because God's law is written on their heart. It's because God, they're made in God's image. Yes, they have sinned, they're broken, they're fallen. But God is still at work in the world, even through people who aren't Christians. God is still at work in the world, um, causing people to choose good rather than evil. Choosing, causing people to uh, move towards the light instead of the darkness. No, this isn't going to bring them into the kingdom. No, they're not going to get saved this way. But it's a good thing. Right? Like, wouldn't you rather have people doing good things, being kind to one another, than people being cruel to one another? I would think that it is what we want. Um, and I think that in moving in this direction, yes, sometimes that can move people towards self-righteousness, where they get to a place of saying, well, I don't need God, because look at all the good things that I do. You know, I volunteer at at scouts and I, I volunteer in the community and I and I recycle and I you know live green and I'm a vegan so I'm a good person so I don't need God. For sure it can lead to this sort of a new religious, you know, self righteousness. Um which which, you know, that's not good. Um but also it can lead people towards a genuine place of caring and compassion where, you know, um there was a Pharisee religious leader that came to Jesus and said, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this religious teacher said, you have answered well, teacher. And Jesus turned to him and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, let's talk about that for a second. I'm way off my notes, but this is, this is good to talk about too. Um, he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God because he was said life is about loving God and loving your neighbor that's what that's what we're supposed to do and Jesus said you're so close this is this is you're not far from the kingdom of God now he didn't say you're in the kingdom of God and that's where some Christians make a mistake some Christians just say just be a good person God will be impressed and you know you'll go to heaven and you're in perfect unity with God. We need to have our sin dealt with, and that's a whole other podcast. That's why Jesus came to die, to forgive us for our sins, to stand in our place. That's what is at the heart of Christianity. But when people follow their conscience and do right, they actually move closer to God. And many people have a long journey before they come into the kingdom of God. But it's better for people and for society to be moving towards this direction than to be running the opposite way, isn't it? I, I think it self-evidently is. I mean, if you can think of some cultures that have really gone off the rails, that have really turned towards darkness, um, you know, there's some of, um, some of the tribes that the Israelites drove out. This is like ancient history. But, you know, you study this when you are looking at the Old Testament. But, I mean, these were religions that were that were entirely built on sex. You know, it was a fertility thing. It was, you, you went to the temple, you had sex with, you know, a young girl that was a prostitute there, and this was supposed to cause it to rain. And, you know, you would um, take your, chi your oldest child, 
if you weren't getting rain, if you needed more crops, and you would burn him alive because that would somehow, you know, cause the gods to give you rain. And it was it was based on, like, it, it had a real, real dark side to it, you know, like dark, evil, yucky stuff they were doing. Um, you know, you could look at that. That'd be really hard to get these sorts of people that are focused on, you know, on sex and on um, just the trying to get the crops to grow at any cost. Even if, even if I have to kill my own son, I'm going to get these crops to grow so that I can be, you know, wealthy and be fed. Um, that's a lot further away from God than where the Jews were. Even though the Jews, you know, Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not in it. But you're not far because they're focused on loving God, loving their neighbor. That's the important thing, not just getting crops and money at all cost. You know, and if you look, I mean, I know this is almost cliche, but if you look at the Nazis, for example, and their extreme emphasis on might makes right. And uh, my grandmother, I was just talking to her two months ago. Uh, she's 95. She's, she lived through it. And she said that I asked her to tell me about the about World War II, and she didn't want to. She told me, um, that's going to go to the grave with me. I don't want to talk about that. But the one thing she did say is that um, what, what she remembers about that was the extreme emphasis on might makes right. And that comes from Nietzsche, the philosopher of the late, 18th, late 19th century. Um, and when might makes right, then you start killing off the cripples. When might makes right, you start killing off the elderly. When might makes right, you start figuring out who is the inferior uh, species in the, you know, pointing to the Jews as their less evolved humans. And, you know, like, it's, it's just terrible, everything that happened. Um, and it was very difficult. I mean, it was a fairly short-lived thing, although atrocious, but you, it, like, it's hard to penetrate that with the gospel. Like, why, why would I care about having my sins forgiven? What are sins in, my, in, in that way of thinking? Well, to be, sin is weakness. I mean, to be weak is a sin, if might makes right. So, like, the gospel doesn't even make sense in that context. Whereas, you know, in a different society, I would say, you know, most Western societies, we do have a strong sense of loving our neighbor, loving others, um, loving God, whatever God is to you. So that when people feel like, I haven't loved my neighbor, I haven't loved God adequately, well, now we have a concept of sin. Now we can talk about that. Now we can bring the gospel. See, people aren't far from the kingdom of God. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing when people aren't as far as they could be. So that being said, uh, my introduction took a lot longer than I meant it to. Um, but I'm just kind of got some Sunday afternoon thoughts for you, just kind of rambling away here. Um, but we'll settle down into my notes here um, just shortly here. Let's talk about some ways that the world actually is, wait for it, wait for it, the world is getting better. There is good news. I know, this is not heresy, people. This is not bad. <laughs> there is good news in this world. Um, and I would challenge you, those of you that, that want to raise their hand and say, actually, the world is supposed to get worse and worse. That's what the Bible says. 
I mean, this this dear person uh, in this random Facebook group, I'm not friends with them, I don't know who they are, that said, well, I know the world is going to get worse and worse because that's what the Bible says. Show me the chapter and verse. I have not read that. I have read that in the very end, at the last day, things will be bad. Um, there will be a hardening. There will be a turning away. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything coming before that has to be worse and worse and worse. In some ways, let's be optimistic. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us what's going to happen. Let's be optimistic and just say, maybe, maybe things will be getting better. Maybe, you know, the, the Bible does say that the gospel will be preached to everyone, to all the nations before the end comes. Maybe Christianity will spread as it is spreading. Maybe good things will happen. Society will, will progress and evolve in positive ways um, so that people, societies will move more and more to where they're not far from the kingdom of God and to where it's easier for Christians to help people to make that final step over to understanding what sin is, what salvation is, and what grace is. So let's talk about that. Uh, what are some positive ways that the world is changing? The first one is probably the most surprising one. I might surprise you in this, but I think the world, Western society specifically, is getting less sexually saturated. I know, crazy, right? You might say, that's, that's insane. How could you say that? Isn't the world every day getting more sexually promiscuous and sexually saturated? Well, in some ways, yes. Uh, and there certainly is the push of um, you know, the LGBTQ um, movement and, and homosexuality. But let's just stop for a second and think about where, where we have come in the last, um, what is it, last 60 years. I mean, 60 years ago, it was the 1960s. And a whole generation just completely went crazy and had unprotected sex, you know, like crazy. Um, and that was completely, you know, societal norm for a while. And then in the 70s as well, it was, it was very common. Um, and things are, I mean, I don't have the statistics, I don't have the numbers. All I have right now in front of me is kind of anecdotal information. But in some ways, I feel like my generation is like, whoa, mom and dad, whoa, previous generation. Like some of that stuff was kind of crazy. Um, and yes, you know, the marriage is, is, doesn't have the same place of prominence that it used to. But in some cases, people are like, I'm going to be rebellious. I'm going to get married and settle down with one person. And I almost feel as though there's like this rebellion back to old-fashioned values. Sure, maybe we don't want to get married in a church, or maybe we do. Um, but there's kind of this, this is what societies do. You know, they, there's this pendulum that swings back and forth and back and forth. And I feel as though the pendulum has swung that way pretty hard. And now it's kind of, it's coming back. Now, I noticed this in high school. We were looking through the yearbook and um, for something, for a class project or something. And um, one of the students, not a Christian, um, very openly talks about her boyfriend in class and, and what they did last night and things like that. Um, but she was looking through the yearbook and she's like, man, look at these shorts. That's disgusting. How could anybody wear shorts that short? You know, she's looking at yearbooks from 20 years ago. And, you know, commenting on other things that the super tight sweaters and, and different things like that, that 
although she had no Christian morality whatsoever and had no qualms about, you know, premarital sex, she wouldn't want to dress that way. You know, society has become more conservative in some respects. Um, we have this whole movement going on right now, and we don't know yet whether it's going to be a flash in the pan or whether it be a long movement that has more force. I hope it catches momentum and keeps moving. I'm talking about the Me Too movement, um, talking about um, sexual exploitation and people who have been violated sexually. And I'm frankly surprised that Christians aren't more excited about this. I've heard a lot of conservative people and a lot of Christians um, being really down on this. And why are we not excited that people are talking about um, sexual exploitation and talking about how bad it is that um, you know that women are objectified in our society that that peop that you know women who are raped are often shamed into silence that even in situations like dating you know people are quote unquote date raped where they're put in a situation that they weren't expecting and they're, something is forced socially on them where in hindsight they're like I never meant to cross that boundary I was forced into it and now through this Me Too movement, people are starting to talk about this and saying, that's not right. You need to treat me with respect. You need to treat my body with respect. I'm not an object. The world is talking about this. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that people are starting to care about um, how we use, um, how we use, that's not, I'm not even going to finish that sentence. It's a good thing that people are starting to talk about the fact that a woman's body is not an object. Um, recently, I mean, this is huge. Um, the international um, Miss or the the Miss America or the Miss Universe contest took out the swimsuit portion. No longer in deciding who is whatever the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, they're going to just take out the part where she has to dress in a skimpy outfit and everybody in the world gawks at her body. That's not part of it. We're going to talk about her brains. We're going to talk about her beauty as a clothed human being. We're going to talk about, you know, whatever else. I don't follow the pageant. I just saw the, the news headline. As a Christian was pointing out that this was a bad thing for some reason. Like, why? This is a good thing. Anyways, sometimes Christians frustrate me. Um... It's a good thing that our, our society is starting to swing back. That pendulum is starting to swim, swing back. And the pressure is not coming from the church saying, you know, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be immoral. The pressure is coming from women saying, this is my body. You don't have a right to treat me like an object. And society is listening to that and saying, hmm, maybe pornography isn't such a great thing. Hmm, maybe... You know, marriage is, or, or you know, maybe it isn't a good thing to just think that we can have, you know, free sex uh, before marriage, outside of marriage, without consequences. Um, along with that, another surprising one is that abortion is becoming less and less. Like, there, there's getting to be more people that are against abortion outside of the church, outside of Christian circles. This is something that the church has always held as we're not going to budge on this. This has always been, you know, the conservative right-wing Christian vote 
has been very much tied to, in the States, it was Roe versus Wade in Canada. We don't have a law on it, but like Christians are like, no, you can't just kill your babies. Uh, a baby is a, an unborn baby is still a baby. It's a human life. Humans are made in the image of God. We can't bend on this. And it's surprising to start to see non-Christians starting to say, you know, this isn't good. This isn't a good thing. Um, and maybe they're not coming all the way to where Christians are on it to say that that life begins at conception. I mean, most Christians would say something like that. But a lot of them are saying abortion is not a good thing, um, especially not in the way that some people promote it, that you can have abortion at any time, any kind, right up to the day of birth, and that abortion is a like almost a form of, of birth control, like you can just have unprotected sex and, and whatever, and then if there's a baby, well, we can just have an abortion. Um, in what I said just there, that's almost literally the, the lyrics of a song um, in French uh, called De Génération, um, which is a chart topper in Quebec, uh, still plays really regularly, especially at uh, certain times of the year. Um, and one of the lines in the song is it's talking about the, the, the history of Quebec and the social history and different things like that. I can't go into the, all the details of the song, but one of the lines says, um, you, my sister, you play, you play around. Um, when you do something stupid, you get out of it with an abortion. But at night, um, sometimes you wake up crying because you dream of a large table surrounded by kids. And it's it's amazing that there are people within society that are starting to say like what have we what have we lost as a society this this nuclear family the idea of a mother and father um having kids protecting them taking care of them like why why are we doing this why are we having serial relationships these kids having abortions um, and then we get to 35, 40, and we don't have kit. We don't have that. We don't have stability. Um, there's, the, there is a groundswell back towards more conservative values, more conservative way of thinking. Not everybody, of course. Um, but it's amazing to hear, um, another example, um, Marie-Josée Eude is a comedian who is the chart topper in Quebec for all comedians. And comedy is a very important thing in Quebec. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Canada, uh, and Quebec is one of the provinces of Canada that is French-speaking and has a very different, very distinct subculture within it. And uh, I was listening to him, Louis-Josie um and uh, he went through a story about himself, and it was very funny, and it was very intimate, and it drew you into it. Um, and he told a number of different things, but then he said that him and his girlfriend... Um, his long-term girlfriend, um, went through the process of deciding that they needed to have an abortion because they weren't ready for this next stage in their life. And so they went through it and they had the abortion. And he talked. Then he got serious and he said that it was the most difficult thing they'd ever done. And it destroyed the relationship. Um, they couldn't move past the pain and he said, I'll never, I'll never tell any woman what to do. It's her body. It's her choice. But I will never do that again. And I'm sitting here thinking like, what? Like, this is a completely non-Christian source. There is nothing 
as far as I know, coming from a Christian source as he says this. And, you know, in the room, there's a connection with that where people are like, yeah, I know. Abortion is crazy. It's horrendous. Um, you know, and it's such a difference from, well, from some sources that are, that are right now still very much pro-abortion. But even, you know, I feel like the groundswell is moving away from from 100% um, um, all of our weight behind abortion. Um, and even in the States, we're looking at the potential of overturning Roe versus Wade. And a lot of that support is not from Christian people. Of course, the lion's share of it is, you know, the Christian right. But many non-Christians as well are, are coming to see um, that a, an unborn child is still a human being and we need to um, protect it. While we're on the topic of women's rights, let's talk about the fact that, um, and I know this isn't something that Christians are used to celebrating, but feminism has done good things for society. And I'm talking about the old school feminism back when, you know, 100 years ago, women didn't have the right to vote. Uh, and um, people, mostly, you know, Christian or Christian culture people, had this idea that men were kind of somewhat somehow superior to women that men were more rational, women were more emotional, and that rationality was better than emotion, therefore men were better. Men were called to be the head of the home, and that meant that the women were to serve them um, and to fit their lives into the life of the man. That has changed. It, I mean, it has just changed. You know, I would consider myself to be a conservative Christian, and I'm part of, you know, the kind of the conservative branch of evangelicalism. But it's it's a rare thing today to see that old school way of doing marriage uh, and looking at man and woman. It still exists. Um, and I would, when I talk about gender issues, I talk about four camps. Um, I talk about patriarchalism on the far right and then complementarianism, uh, kind of middle right. And then egalitarianism is kind of middle left. And then feminism is far left. Um, it's a generalization that doesn't completely work. I've been critiqued on it before, and the critique is valid because it's an oversimplification. Um, but most really conservative Christians today are what I would call complementarians, which means that we believe that man and woman are made in the image of God, made equally in the image of God, saved equally in Jesus Christ. Um, Galatians 3.28 says, In Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We are all equal. But within that we have different roles. Um, and that, uh, you know, there there is something called femininity. There is something called masculinity. Both of them come from God. Both of them reflect a distinct part of God as God made man and woman in his image. Um and of course, then there's many Christians that would say, no, you know, they're egalitarian where they would say there is no difference. And there might be male and female, that's still a thing, but there's no difference in how we, in our roles, how we, how we organize ourselves in family, how we organize ourselves in the church, how we organize ourselves in society. Um, women should be able to do exactly the things that men can do, and men should be able to do all the things that women can do, uh, except for have babies. Um, so, but... The thing I want to say here is that as much as there are some things that are unhealthy about um, 
the way that we do family. And some of that has crept into the church. I would much rather have my daughter get married to somebody today than, you know, enter into relationships that were common a hundred years ago. Uh, even common within the church, even common within Christian communities. Um, I think that we have come to realize, we have come to validate the place of a woman um, in the church and in the home far more than there used to be. Um, Along with this comes um, men who are encouraged to be more caring to their wives, more involved in in the raising of their children. And men are doing this in, in ways that they hadn't done in previous generations. And these are all really good things. I mean, you see dads at the park all the time playing with their kids. Um, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Uh, let's, let's pause and rejoice about this. Not to say that men no, at no time in history ever played with their kids. But I mean, if you, if you just go back and like, here's a silly example. I mean, watch Mary Poppins again. And just understand that what was presented there as the way to do family um, was the way many people, especially right-wing, especially conservative Christians, would have thought that a, a family ought to be run, where the man goes to work and comes home and he bosses everybody around and he doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, he's insecure about his leadership and he... Anyways... Um, I think that there's good things that have happened in in how the genders relate to one another. Now, there I mentioned before that there are I'm quite concerned and I think many of us should be concerned about um the gay agenda. I say this as different than um we need to be sensitive to people who have genuine questions. Am I a man? Am I a woman? I mean, that's a terrifying and difficult question and what to do with my life as a Christian who has these urges. Um, That being said, there's people that are using this issue as a way to push an agenda and try to control speech and try and um, literally persecute Christians, um, forcing them out of their places of employment, forcing Christians out of their own churches and own buildings over this issue. So that's negative things that are going on around that. But what is positive is when I look at Jordan Peterson, I don't know if all of you guys know who that is up in Canada here. Um, and also, well, in the States, uh, you have... Well, in the States, you have Ben Shapiro and other conservative voices that are, you know, pushing back against um, against the leftist ideology and uh, are speaking some sense into uh, into the world, combating, you know, the, the new rise of Marxism and neo-Marxism and party politics and the other things, um, and having really important conversations about what freedom of speech is, uh, how the left doesn't have a right to create laws and to try and control how people speak and how people think. Um, these are positive things. It's positive that some of these people are trending number one on Twitter, are you know among the highest viewed people on YouTube. Again, society goes back and forth in these pendulum swings, and you know, society has gone really far, really fast, really hard to the left on some of these issues. And there has been no discussion. There has been no um, no debate allowed on 
on, on some of these issues. And now we're starting to see things swinging back to the right. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And through the course of these discussions, I think that we're able to have um, a society that is closer to the kingdom of God, where we still have our freedoms and we're aware of other people that think differently, believe differently, and we can have civil conversations with them. Here's an interesting one. We haven't had a world war lately. That's a big deal. You know, up till um, the end of World War II, Europe was pretty much constantly in war. You know, you had the French fighting the English, you had the Germans fighting fighting everybody, you had Spain, and, you know, everybody was fighting back and forth. And they, it was just kind of, you know, <laughs> for all of European history, these wars have been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, until things really got out of hand in World War I with technology changing. All of a sudden we had machine guns, uh, and that just changed things. And then, you know, World War II, technology changed again with mustard gas and airplanes and then the nuclear bomb. And eventually we realized, you know what, we can't keep doing this. Um, and the way people think has changed to where we're not going to fight with, at least not within, you know, the West, and the West hasn't really fought each itself uh, for uh, it's almost almost 70 years now. Yes, there was the Cold War, but, you know, praise God, communism fell. And people are starting to realize that communism is not a good way to run the world. Unfortunately, neo-Marxism is starting to come back in popularity. Uh, and people need to be reminded that Marxism is a terrible doctrine that has caused more more death in one century than religion has caused in the last 2,000 years and more. But um, I think we can praise God that there haven't been, um, that war has stopped in, in, in much of the West, at least fighting amongst us. Yes, we still do wars overseas against other powers, and that's unfortunate, that's not good. Um, but we're not having bombs dropped on us anymore. Um, this is a big improvement. This is a good thing. Um, let's not look only for the bad. There is bad there. So we think about wars around the world. But there is good. We have peace. We have security. Um, it's a good thing. Poverty is down in the world. This is something that doesn't, isn't often talked about. We just see the pictures of people starving and another famine going on. Um, but... I've seen the numbers, and I don't have them right in front of me because I'm lazy and it's Sunday afternoon, but, I mean, poverty, I've, I've seen numbers, something like poverty has, has re reduced, like 50% in the last 20 years, something like that around the world, where many of these countries, even the really, really poor countries, you know, and I spent a few months in one of the poorest countries in the world, but people had enough to eat. There was bread that you could buy. There was rice that you could buy. There was wheat. You know, there was pasta that you could buy very cheaply. Um, and as technology changes and as, you know, people get more efficient at, you know, build, there was a big fact, rice factory down the road. There were irrigation ditches along the side of this river where I was in Africa, um, put in by foreign investment, but tremendously benefiting the lives of people there because now all of a sudden you can buy cheap rice, um, food staple. World poverty is going down. And many of these nations, although it's true that um, there's still so far to go and the difference between like a Western nation, how we live here, and like a third world nation is still shocking and surprising. 
But when you look at that same person in the third world country and think about how their ancestors lived 100 years ago or even 50 years ago, it's often a dramatic difference. Um, I mean, here's a silly example. When we were out there, um, we went to lo- go look at the giraffes. And uh, so we got in the car and, and we got uh, an African guide to show us where the giraffes were. There was a little depot where you went and you had to pay and then they, they sent somebody out to your car. And anyways, he had a cell phone. Um, and I asked him, so like, where'd you get that? And just kind of try to make conversation. He said, oh, everybody has a cell phone. Nobody goes, it's it's very important that you never go off in the bush alone without a cell phone. I mean, this was like, you know, in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, from my perspective. Um, and you could clearly see this wasn't a rich person. But he said, everybody has a cell phone. Um, the times have changed dramatically. And along with a cell phone, they have internet access. They have access to information. Um, and along with that, they have eventually access to education and um, a whole world of opportunity. Um, the environment is improving. Um, it's, again, so true that we have so far to go. And yet, for all those Facebook videos about how bad the ocean is, how bad the ozone layer is, and everything like that, the reality is, is that these videos are actually having an impact and we're starting to care and we're starting to change and things are improving. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm starting to speed up here. I would like to spend more time on this. Christians don't care nearly enough about the environment, um, especially if you're talking about kind of the, the typical right-wing um, conservative Christians. We often side with big business instead of siding with the environment. And we need to do both. And I think for the most part, we're actually doing really well. The West is actually doing really, really well, uh, especially like I'm Canadian. Canada, I lived in a, in a mining town. I grew up in a mining town with, with a gold mine. And gold mining, you know, you, you make a significant impact on the environment. Uh, you displace a lot of rock. You need a lot of chemicals um, to, to run through your plants and things like that. Um, but... I saw firsthand that they spent an enormous amount of money uh, to do it right and to do it in a way that had an extremely minimal effect on their actual environment. And the places around the mine, I mean, it was green. It was healthy. There weren't animals dying everywhere. There wasn't pollution running into the oceans or into the rivers nearby. Um, We're improving drastically on the environment and even countries like China who have um, have rushed ahead to join us in the industrial you know in our industrialization but have left the environmental concerns behind and yet I'm seeing more and more that they're starting to catch up on these things they're seeing and and now that they have the money to they're investing that into ways to clean the air clean the water clean the environment and I have great hope that in the next 20, 30, 50 years, we're going to start seeing countries like China and India make significant strides in cleaning up their environment as, you know, the, the wealth comes, the, the technology comes. We're going to start seeing them more and more cleaning up the environment. At least that's, that's my hope. Um, but I think it's a warranted hope. Um, so I'm starting to see more and more parents who 
are aware of the danger of social media and TV. Yes, there's many that don't care, uh, that just treat these things as a one-eyed babysitter, as my pastor used to say. Um, but many parents are saying, no, this is not good. Uh, and cutting their kids off from TV or having TV fasts of two or three weeks to reset them, um, minimizing the effect of, of social media and TV and Netflix on their kids and devices. Um, this is good. I feel like, like families are, are trying to push back to let's get back to having real experiences out in nature, out at the park, out back in society with real real life things um uh going back to trying to move to the country and trying to um you know have a few chickens or whatever if they can i th- i feel like this is a this is a positive thing it's not a spiritual thing necessarily but i think it's healthy that many people in society are seeing um we can't just stay in our little homes and be addicted to our technology we need to get back to the dirt and back to nature and back to um, real experiences. And I, I, I'm going to count that as another positive thing I can see in the world. Um, and Christianity is spreading as never before. We often talk about how, um, how sad it is that in the West we have largely rejected Christianity. And that's true that, you know, Canada and the United States used to be very Christian places as well as most of Europe. Um, we have turned our back on that to a large extent. But at the same time, what what we're seeing is actually, um, like you'll look at the statistics about how many people used to say they were Christians on statistics, uh, and now they don't say that they're Christians anymore. Um, and so it looks like, by the numbers, it looks like Christianity is shrinking. But what we're actually seeing is the denominations like you know the Lutherans or um, the Episcopalians or Anglicans or Catholics, some of these large social uh, denominations where it used to be you know ninety five percent of of the states or Canada would have identified as one of these mega denominations, but it was more of a cultural thing. Um, it didn't really affect you know people didn't really believe that they were you know, saved by grace, and there were sinners saved by grace, and that's going to change how I live every day, and I need to go share my faith with my neighbors, and we need to send missionaries overseas to tell people that don't know, and, you know, if if the world is going to hell because they don't know about this gospel. I mean, for the most part, these were people that just kind of checked a box off that, yeah, sure, I'm Christian. Uh, I'll go to the church when I get married. I'll go to church when I get buried. Um in between I'm not really don't really care it doesn't really make a big difference but I guess it makes me happy to think that there's a happy man up in the sky that's looking looking out for me um and what what we're seeing in recent years is that these kind of cultural Christians are falling away but what we're also seeing is that the bible believing denominations you know the conservative baptist denominations and pentecostals and um, you know, I go to a small Anglican church that is a, a biblical Anglican church split off from the larger Anglicans. And these churches are growing. And around the world, um, there's just tremendous, tremendous growth in Latin America, across Africa and Asia. 
of all forms of biblical Christianity that are focused on the gospel and on life transformation and on sharing the faith with our neighbors and you know the the basics of um, essential Christianity and you might be tempted to say well yeah but um, that's just the third world or that's just you know those developing nations what about the West isn't it the West that actually leads the world well in some ways yes but what's the future what's the future um, I mean there's at least two ways in which um, these nations where Christianity is exploding are the future well actually three ways one of them is that nations like India China South Korea are becoming financial powerhouses uh, this is where things are being built and um, no matter how money is distributed the people that do the actual manufacturing are going to end up making most of the money um, and so it's tremendously significant that the countries that are that actually have the money in the world are increasingly moving towards having like that's where people are becoming Christians more secondly um, you could ask the question, who's actually having the babies? Now, I'm very unusual for a Westerner to have five kids. Uh, most Westerners, I mean, we're in negative population growth in most parts, in most Western populations. Most of most whites are in negative population growth where, you know, we'll only have um, one to one and a half child per woman, um, depending on, on which country. In some European countries, it's even less. Um, I don't have this, the numbers right in front of me here, but you know you need a certain percentage, or else the population will shrink instead of grow. And for the most part, um, the Western population is in decline. Where is the population actually growing? Well, it's in Latin America, Africa, Asia. These are the people that are actually having babies, and these are the populations that are actually coming here because we're not. I mean. Nature hates a vacuum. There's more room here than there is there. Um, and so in that, in that way too, that is the future. Uh, that's the future population of the world is being born in, you know, south of the hemisphere. And so, no, it's not insignificant that many of these countries are becoming Christian um, at, at remarkable rates. And finally... Um, if you think of countries that really throw their weight around, um, there's several. I mean, obviously, the United States is the main one that throws its weight around. Um, but a country like China as well really has a heavy weight in the international scene, as well as many Muslim countries in the Middle East. And remarkably, those are two of the places where the church is growing at astronomical numbers underground um, much of it is hard to report on because people don't want to know to make it known that they're becoming Christians but with the coming of the internet with house churches um, with person-to-person evangelism um, there's whole countries that although you know officially they're Muslim or officially they're communist in the case of China um, the population is quickly swinging towards where the majority is actually Christian. Um, and it's fascinating to see and to think about what the future might hold. I mean, um, 
obviously the states has um, and Canada we have kind of a love-hate relationship with these two centers of power especially with China um, as it's kind of rising to become a world superpower but um, China I mean here's here's I'm just gonna throw out this crazy theory you know in the 17 1800s um, Christianity was mostly in Europe and especially England with the Welsh revivals became a powerhouse for the gospel and from England it spread to the whole world spread to Canada um, and the United States and uh, through missionaries to Africa um, and India and because of that there's a huge that's a main reason why um, Christianity has such a global influence and after that the United States was a center of Christianity also a very wealthy country also a center of political power and sent out tons of missionaries and as the West turns away from God is it possible that God is raising up another country one that we wouldn't expect but God is not limited God um, God has his way of making choices and um, is it possible that China is the next place that will be the center of Christianity having a global influence and being a place from which missionaries can be sent to um, to continue the work of, of turning people towards God anyways um, I'm over my hour mark here that's just um, let's Let's see if we can wrap some things together. Um, let's. I think it's important for us, whether or not you agree with the specific things I've said. I know, you know, I, I tend to be surprisingly left-leaning in some of my views, and some really right-wing people will be like, what? The environment? What? Women's rights? Um, maybe you don't agree with some of the specifics. But big picture, can we agree that it's good to look at the positive side of things? Can we agree that actually the Bible doesn't say necessarily that everything will always get worse all the time? Um, can we agree in principle that it's good to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? That it's good to say, this is a good thing that's happening in society. No, I didn't come up with it. No, the church isn't behind it. It didn't start in the church, I should say. But we can get on board with good things when good things happen in the world and can we try to find the good in the world and not just try to find the bad can we try to um, lift up the good things in the world and say here look at this this is a good thing let's rejoice over this um, and I think as we do that we are going to make the world a better place. And we're going to find that we're getting connections with other people who are not far from the kingdom of God, who are also trying to make a, a good impact in the world, who are also trying to make a difference. And we can have positive connections with people um, that, um, with, with whom we can share this life-changing message that Jesus saves. And he's the answer for... Um, for the question of how can I get right with God? And finally, I think this emphasis and turning towards the good and not just the bad is going to be good for us in our emotions and our souls and our nerves. 
And so um, I just leave these thoughts with you, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, feel free to uh, comment on my website, uh, josiahmeyer.com, and no longer be children.wordpress.com. And um, feel free to uh, listen, subscribe to this podcast, refer it to friends, and uh, I hope that um, you have a great day. Thanks a lot. Bye.